Welcome to the Old School Meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, which features speakers with long-term abstinence. This meeting was born online, and it's going to stay that way. That means you can attend live on Tuesday evenings at 6.30 Pacific if you'd like to. Go to the Los Angeles Intergroup's webpage at oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. Um. Okay, then. Um, leader now shares, please tell. Okay, so we talked about the time. So I'm going to tell you what it was like, what happened, what I'm like now, including how and why I stay abstinent today. Um, and my, again, my name is Corey, and I'm a compulsive overeater and also a restrictor. Um, and I'm really glad to be here today. And had I known how many awesome, cool people were on this meeting, I would have come a lot earlier. <laughs> um, but I used to work on Tuesday nights, so it's nice to have discovered this night, uh, tonight. And thank you, Jack, for asking me to speak. Um, so what I was like, well, I have a picture. Let me share. Let's see if I cued. Uh, can I share? Can I share? Can someone, one of the hosts, give me the ability to share? Um, yes, Anne will take care of that. Okay. And then I can show you a picture. So that's a, you'll see a visual of what I used to be like. Um, I, um, so uh, as a, as a little kid, I was a pretty normal eater. There were things that I liked and things that I didn't like. I knew when I was full. I knew when I was hungry. Um, at the age of nine, I was diagnosed as a type one diabetic and, um, something about that process and the rigidity, uh, that I, this rigid food plan that I was put on, um, started it flipped the switch of my compulsive overeating um before then food was i i could have taken it or left it as soon as i became a diabetic i was diagnosed in august that december is the first binge that i remember in my life although i'm sure i had them before that time but um I, uh, that's when I ate a whole layer of C's candy and I, and I didn't think anyone would notice because I thought if I eat the whole top layer, if the bottom layer looks the same, then no one will notice. I was nine. Um, so people noticed and, um, my mother then hid the box of candy that night and I scoured the house for it. The only place I didn't look was under her bed or under her pillow because I knew that she would find me. But I I experienced something that I had never experienced before, which was, I was like ravenous. But it wasn't, I had been ravenous before in my life, like where I got really hungry as a kid or I was running around all day and I got home. There was something, and I couldn't identify it at the moment, but I now know looking back, it was an emotional hunger. It wasn't just a physical hunger. Um, and And I certainly did not know that I was full because one would think for a normal eater that, that, you know, when consuming a pound of chocolate, because it was two pounds, was the entire box, when consuming that much food that I physically would have been full. But I blew way beyond that because I just didn't, I, I didn't notice it. I just needed more and more and more and more and more. And the adrenaline of like the, the I don't know, the rush of binging. Um, I, from that, so because I was a relatively skinny kid, I didn't start putting weight on for a while. And once I started putting weight on, I not only did I have this compulsive overeating thing, 
and ate in a very shameless way. But I also had an immense amount of shame about my body. And as my body began to gain weight, I began holding in my stomach, um, wearing really big clothes. Um, even in the middle of summer, I wore big sweatshirts that had pockets so I could have my hands in my pockets and push my it out so nobody could see my stomach. Um, and when I was in grammar school, in we had a change in PE and start, we started wearing uniforms for PE. And someone asked me if I was pregnant and I was, gosh, I don't know. I was probably sixth or seventh grade. And that's, I mean, kids are just that way, but that's, I did. I looked, my stomach was so distended and full. And that, um, that was what compulsive overeating at that time was like for me. Um, I ate, I had, as a type 1 diabetic, I had a lot of damage that was done to my body that I was doing in the ways that I was eating. Um, at the age of 17, um, and there was a lot of other stuff happening. There was some, there was pretty severe abuse in my family and, um, and, and a lot that I won't necessarily go into. Um, if, if you come from abuse and you want to have talk about that with someone else that does, I'll put my number in the chat, but um, the details are, you know, we all have our own version of what, what our childhoods were like. Um, at the age of 17, I had surgery on my eyes because um, one of the, you know, I don't know if you, anyone has heard this, but diabetes is the leading cause of blindness. And what happened for me was my retina started bleeding. Um, and as I was, the, this is the power of compulsive overeating for me. As I was sitting in the doctor's office, getting my laser surgery, in between I was binging on chocolate. Five minutes. Thank you. Perfect. Um, and I just didn't know, it just didn't occur to me that there was a link between food and weight. I didn't, I, I didn't really get that I was gaining weight because I was eating more. And, I, and it didn't occur to me that the issue with my eyes was as a result of the way that I was eating. Um, and I just kept on eating and eating and eating. So when I was, um, let's see, I, when I was 22, my sister invited me to go to an Al-Anon meeting with her. Um, and I went to be supportive. I, I don't, I still to this day, I don't know if she was really 12-stepping me or not, but I walked into this meeting and I loved just the whole, and I won't talk a lot about Al-Anon, but it's, it leads me to getting to OA. I, um, I loved the concept of the steps. I loved, like, right away, that first meeting, I felt like I was hooked in that program. And I um, I loved the vulnerability. People had names for their feelings that I I didn't have. I, I felt shame um, and I felt hungry. Those were kind of the two feelings. And I couldn't have even put a label on those. And people had names for their feelings. So anyway, so I was... Um, I was in college at the time. I was home for the summer. I went back to college, um, and uh, I started going to meetings there, started going to Al-Anon meetings there. And at some point, um, there was somebody that I knew from school that I played racquetball with that um, I ran into in an OA meeting that I had never seen before. And in the town that I lived in, there were two Al-Anon meetings a week, and there were two OA meetings a week. And you had to go to the next town, which wasn't actually all that far, but it, small town thinking, it seemed far. And um, so I ran into this friend in this Al-Anon meeting, and I always say that my first 
spiritual experience in OA was that I mentioned to someone in Al-Anon that I was struggling with my food because I didn't tell anybody that I was struggling with my food. I didn't, um, when I lived in the dorms, uh, people had no idea how much I was consuming and I was stealing their food and they never looked at me as the one that would be stealing their food because she's a diabetic. So we know it's not her. So I thought, oh, thank God, finally this diabetes thing really has is, is done me a favor, um, even though I was stealing all their food. And one time someone caught me, which was a whole huge shame spiral that I don't know if I've ever talked about in a, in a share before, at least not a recorded share, but very shameful. So I mentioned to this Al-Anon friend that I uh, was struggling with my food. I don't remember what I said. I don't remember the conversation. I just know that it happened because then I got to OA and I... But but it took me, she said to me, oh, you know, I, in addition to going to Al-Anon, I go to Overeaters Anonymous. And and I said, no, you know, I don't, I don't need like a whole program around this. I, I just need to like stop eating. Like I, like as if, I, I really thought, I, I mean, I think that's the, the perception of an unrecovered compulsive overeater and perhaps anyone with an addiction is if only I could find a way to stop killing myself with food, then I would. That, that I would, right? I just was listening to this AA podcast this week, and the guy said, you know, what I didn't know was that in order to stop drinking, I had to stop drinking, right? And so I, I didn't – I thought I could stop eating on my own. I, I knew what to eat. I had been – I had seen dietitians and nutritionists from when I was nine, newly diagnosed as a diabetic. I, um, I had been told what I should be eating. My doctor would yell at me and tell me what I should be eating, and – um, and I, and I couldn't, and so she mentioned OA and I, and I told her that I didn't need to go. And then I mentioned to her again about my food. Maybe that could have been my second spiritual experience. Um, and a couple of times of mentioning it to her and her saying, she finally said to me, why don't you come to a meeting with me? You can see if it's for you. And if it's not, you don't ever have to come back. And that hadn't occurred to me, even though I didn't feel like I was taken hostage in Al-Anon. But for some reason, the thought of going to a program, like, it just felt like I don't need something that big. I just need to figure out my food. So I got here. Um, and actually, let me see if I have the right to share yet. I do. So um, hang on. Let me share, and I will bring up. So um, on the left is my... You're, you guys, you're, you're, you're ending uh, your second five minutes now. Okay, thank you. So on the left is my high school graduation picture. I don't know if that was my heaviest because I generally didn't hang around cameras when I was heavy. On the right is a picture that was about a year ago. Um, I was a little bit on the light side then. That was before COVID. Um, and I'm uh, from the picture on the right, I'm up about five pounds, which I don't love, but but it, it is what it is. And, um, and my food is fine and it's just the difference is that I was doing a lot of walking for work and during COVID I was working from home so um so that's what that's what it was like visually for me um as I mentioned I was um I, I so I told you my compulsive overeating story at some point in my um in my journey I when I you all won't know all of the paraphernalia that I'm about to talk about, but I went on an insulin pump. And for the first time in my life as a diabetic, I, I had this this piece of equipment where if I was going to eat something, I could dial in insulin for the carbs. And if I didn't want to eat, 
um, I, I didn't put in any insulin. And so for the first time in my life, I realized the power of skipping meals. And I, I started not only skipping a meal, but I started skipping two meals and three meals. And my weight went down and I loved the power. And I, and then I, I didn't eat for a couple of days. And, you know, and, and I, and I realized at some point that that's a part of this disease for me as well. I just, and there's more to that story, but I want to make sure that I stay on track. But so restricting became a part of my disease um, or a part of the, the profile of my diseases here. Um, and, and I, you know, when I struggle with food, you know, my, my cravings are on both sides of the fence oftentimes. You know, I, I, um, I don't commit my food every day anymore, but I do. My, I talked to my sponsor recently about the fact that I struggle. I was struggling with lunch because I, you know, I'm, I'm, I recently retired from a full-time job. I'm doing my own business that I'm growing slowly. And the structure of my day was, um, was completely non-existent at first. And now it's, I'm kind of learning my own structure, but, um, and so she recommended in the morning, plan your lunch, right? What a concept, but not something that I, you know, I had to call her to say, hey, I notice I'm struggling with lunch and, and I, you know, and I seem to be eating over the course of two hours because anyway, so she said, plan your lunch and that seems to be working. Um, so how do I stay abstinent today? Well, I do things like I'm doing tonight, which is coming to a meeting, sharing with all of you. Um, I have a sponsee on this meeting. I sponsor three people. Um, I have a sponsor. Um, I'm working the steps. Uh, when stuff is uncomfortable, I, I have. So one of the things that I learned in 12-step programs is rather than just feeling uncomfortable, ashamed, and hungry, I learned what what that discomfort is. Like I learned when I'm feeling angry or when I'm feeling sad or when I'm feeling I don't know, any of those feelings. Um, and when it's something that it feels like bigger than I can handle, I put pen to paper and I write about it. Um, there was something else I was just going to say. Um, oh, so, you know, I've, I also, so there's all these slogans that, that we all think about um, and we all hear here. And um, and Eric, for the newcomer, you know, you're, you'll hear them again and again and again. And one of those slogans is one day at a time. And so I don't, you know, I don't plan. I, my, my plan for this day isn't how am I going to get through the rest of my life with uh, an abstinent life and a sane food and how am I not going to injure myself with either over or under eating. My plan for today is to get to midnight without doing those things. Um, and, and so I, um, some of you who know my story know that um, in 2010, my father committed suicide. I, I had a lot of years under my belt in this program. Um, and, and there were other extenuating circumstances, and I won't go into all of them um, that those of you that know the story know. But um when I first got the call, you know, w within that first, I don't know, half an hour, I said to myself, how on earth am I going to get through this? And, and very quickly, what what came to mind was I'm going to do this one day at a time. So um, three minutes left. Thank you. So um, 
you know, how, how do I stay abstinent? How do I, um, let's see what I'm like now. So today I have a really full life. I'm married. Um, I've been married since 2013. We've been together since 2007. <laughs> Thank you for the round of applause. Um, you know, I never thought that was possible for me. Um, and we both have programs and we both use our programs and we both, um, we work the principles of our programs in our relationship. And we even talk about that sometimes. Like at the very beginning of our relationship, we talked about being self-supporting through our own contributions. I had never had a relationship where that was the case. I, I always found people that had a lot of potential. <laughs> and she does have a lot of potential, but she's also got her own life and her own career and her own friends and her own program people. And um, so um, if if people who didn't know that I was a compulsive overeater saw me eating, they would have no idea. People that I worked with at this job that I just retired from, I worked with them for years. They, they, everyone looked to me to see, oh, what's Corey eating at this restaurant? That's probably the healthy meal or something. Just because from the outside, my, my food looks pretty normal. Um, I'm not a no sugar person. Um, I do have birthday cake on my birthday. Not everybody does. Um, but I don't have sugar every day and I don't binge on sugar and, um, and I don't eat seas candy and I don't, um, and I, and when I do, I either have, like sometimes I'll split a piece of cake with my wife or I'll, um, I'll have one serving, but I don't have more than that. Um, I read labels, um, part, partly because I'm on an insulin pump and I have to dial in my carbs. I, you know, the restrictor in me is obsessed with calories. I, I, now all I do is I read the labels for the carbs. I dial it into my pump. It's a communication between me, God, and my insulin pump. And, and to the best of my ability when I can, I mean, sometimes I'm at restaurants where I don't have any idea what the carbs are and I sort of guesstimate. And if I run a little bit high, then I can do a correction. But I, um, I take care of myself around food. Um, so let's see. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of big feelings. Like I mentioned, I, I retired, I was at a, in a 31 career, 31 year career that was sort of a solvency job. It met my needs. It gave us health insurance. Um, I made really good money, but it wasn't my soul work. And now I've left that career and I'm doing my soul work and, and, and it's exciting and it's scary and I have more free time on my hands than I've ever had, I think, in my whole life because I went from school to this job and, um, and, and, and I'm going to a ton of meetings. I made a spreadsheet of meetings. So now I'm in three programs. I'm just, I'm dabbling in a third one. Time. Um, thank you. And I made a spreadsheet of all the meetings that I enjoy going to, and this one's going to go on that. And I really, um, it was been quite an honor to come and share with you today. Thank you. Um, after the leader qualifies, it's now time for the seventh tradition and an announcement from our treasurer. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Mark. I'm compulsive overreader. I am your tech host and filling in for our treasurer. Uh, as our treasurer had to not make it again tonight. Um, so I am going to put the links into the chat. Uh, there's two options. You can either go to the OALAIG website or you can 
send the, directly to our treasurer's Venmo, which would help pay for this uh, service, which uh, is not being funded by the inner group, and so we pay for it separately. Uh, usual donations are between 3 to $5, but please pay whatever you feel comfortable with. Thank you for letting me be of service. Okay. Um, and can I get a volunteer to read the 12 traditions? I could do that. Thank you. First compulsive overeater, uh, 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon a, um, OA unity. Uh, two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our good conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group should have but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Uh, six, an OA group ought never endorse finance or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me be a service. Thank you.